Good morning. Well done for being in church in a cold, well, it's not winter yet, but it feels, it feels like overnight. Winter is here, so well done for being in church. My husband is in the UK, so we have two churches in London, for those of you who don't know. He's preaching at one of them this morning, so it's my privilege this morning to share with you in East London. <laughs> so we, uh, my husband and I moved to East, to East London in 2008. It was quite a journey at, at that stage in our lives. We, we didn't have any blood family in East London. We still don't have like blood family in East London. And we, we, we built a house just two years before we moved to East London. We sold the house. I resigned my job. When we arrived here, I was eight months pregnant. The church, as you experience it now, was about 20 people at that stage. So for us, it was, it was quite a big step to, to move. And I remember when we arrived here, I said to God, Lord, open my eyes for the beauty of this city. Because I knew, I knew somehow and somewhere I'm going to find beauty in East London, even though that was literally for me a place on a map at that stage. And and my whole life was in Cape Town. My, my whole life. I studied for four years in Stellenbosch. I worked for 10 years in Stellenbosch. My friends, my support system, everything was there. But I knew that God's going to open my eyes for the beauty. And that's what I prayed for. And I can honestly say that this is what happened. God opened my eyes for the beauty of our city. Because every city is beautiful, amen? You just need to be able to see it. You just need to be able to find it. And, and God started opening my eyes for the beauty of East London. And this is what we, we're trusting him for for this month. This is why we call it generosity. It's a generosity month. But we, we're going to talk about various things. We're going to talk about generosity. But I think most of all, my heart is that God will open our eyes for the beauty of our city. That we will fall in love with the city, with the people, with un, you know the neighbors we have, the the community, the the depth, and the just the beauty of the Eastern Cape, you know. Because often we just see the potholes, eh? We just see the potholes, and we just see this and this and this that irritates and it's not working, and and we miss the beauty. We miss the beauty. I I just fell in love with this town, and there's so many things I can give you a whole list. I mean, just the weather, for example. Not the weather today, but <laughs> compared to where I grew up and where I lived most of my life, East London's weather is just the most amazing thing for me. And there's just so many things that's beautiful, not only about the town and the, the, the surroundings, but the people. The people. It's just so precious. And this is really what I trust for for this month, for us as a congregation. God will open our eyes for the beauty of our town, for the city. So, to get back to what I want to share with you this morning, I need to ask you a question to start off with. How many of you think that you are rich? Okay, there's one hand. Thank you so much. Okay, just keep your hands raised. I'm just going to see. I didn't expect many hands, so I'm not intimidated by your response, so I'm, I'm calm, <laughs> I'm good. Let, let me rephrase, thank you very much for those hands, brave hands, because rich people live in denial, just by the way, they live in denial. <laughs> so for those of you who raise your hands, well done. Who of you 
feel, you, you, don't, you don't think you're rich, but you often feel rich. Some, okay, I'm expecting a few more hands now. I, w- I want to give you a few, um, th- this often, oftentimes in my life when I felt rich, I just want to give you a few ideas. Maybe you'll feel more rich after that. I remember when I bought my first car, I, I certainly wasn't rich at that stage, but I felt rich, you know, driving in my own car. I, uh, it took me nine months before I could buy a car So I, after I started working. So I literally looked for lifts on a daily basis to work, which was quite a, a big crisis because I, work, I worked at different clients. So it wasn't only one destination. So, and then same, sometimes people would forget me. My lift would forget me. And then I, I didn't have a, even a cell phone at that stage. Okay? I certainly wasn't rich at that stage, in my opinion. But I didn't even have a cell phone. Then I ran up to my to my flat on the I don't know fifth or sixth story of a of a um, block of flats. I phone from the landline and say. Uh, then I look for. I feel too embarrassed to find the person who forgot me. Then I phone somebody else to come pick me up. Then I'm totally late for work, which is very much against who I am. You know, all my lift would be late, and oh, it was just chaos for nine months. So that when I bought my first car. I felt like a queen. <laughs> I felt very rich. You know, when, when Andre and I became debt-free for the first time in 2009, we started off with quite a lot of debt. When we got married, study debt and, you know, different things that we kind of consolidated. And then we had a plan to, to pay it off. When we became debt-free 2009, for the first time, I felt rich. I really did. Every time my husband comes home with a bunch of woolies, roses, I feel very rich. <laughs> I feel very rich. You know, every time when, when I go shopping and I buy a whole trolley full of groceries, I feel rich. I remember as a little girl, when we go on holiday, um, I have four siblings, so we we five children in our family, so seven altogether. Every time when we, we went on holiday, you know, we, we, we buy this whole trolley full of, we go to pick and pay and we buy this whole trolley. And I remember checking the, 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 the price at the toll, you know, and it went up to 300 rand. I was like stressing, you know. Back then it was really a lot of money. I was so stressed on behalf of my parents because how are they going to pay this? So it was always, I was always very focused on a trolley full of groceries that must be paid. And when I do that now, I feel, I feel rich. When I come home, I pack my bags out. I feel so rich. You know, every time I go to a coffee shop and I buy coffee, and I pay, I feel rich, you know, to actually sit down and I'm served with a cup of coffee. You know, I grew up with re-coffee as a child. That was it, you know. That was it. Only when I was older, I discovered there's more, you know, there's more coffee on the market than just re-coffee. And every time I, yeah, as I say, every time I, I can order a cup of coffee, you know, which is not, it's, it's an expensive little item at a coffee shop, I feel rich. Every time when I look at my son, who is now seven years old, every time I look at him and I experience him growing up, I feel rich. So I think we often, we are richer than what we think. Hey, We are much richer than what we think. So I want to ask you again, have you ever felt rich in your life? Anybody ever felt rich? Okay, because I want to speak 
to rich people this morning. Okay? I want to speak to rich people. If you don't think you're rich, maybe uh, after 10 minutes, after another 10 minutes, you're going you're gonna to feel very rich. Because I, I want to speak to rich people this morning. So I want to take you to a scripture in 1 Timothy. Beautiful scripture. 1 Timothy. It's the Apostle Paul. Remember, he wrote a lot of letters in the New Testament to different churches to address specific things that, that was hap- happening in those churches. So this letter, letter was addressed to, to Timothy. He was running the church at that stage, that specific one. And the Apostle Paul is saying the following. So you can read with me. Command those who are rich. I don't know if you've ever read the scripture, but here it is this morning. Command those who are rich in the present age, which is our current, our current age in which we're living, not to be arrogant and not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. How's that for good news? Eh? He provides everything to us for our enjoyment. Command them, still the rich people, still talking to the rich people, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay out treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So I'm going to unpack these. It's three scriptures. I'm going to unpack them for you today. So I just want to give you a bit more information about rich people, just for in case you still don't think you're rich. According to the globalrichlist.com, you can go look it up on the internet yourself if you want. They base its, its calculations on income data from the World Bank. You only need to earn 75,000 rand per year, which equals 6,250 rand per month to fall in the, in the world's richest 10%. You can go look it up for yourself if you, if you doubt my stats. Um, and an income of 14,583 rand per month to fall into the world's richest 1%. Okay, this is not South Africa, okay? That's the world. South Africa's got different stats. But this is quite interesting. Quite interesting. We, we would never think as ourselves as rich if we earn 6,250 rand per month. We wouldn't. However, we fall, if you earn that, you fall into the world's 10% of wealthiest people. Quite interesting. So I want to I give you a few other things that rich people do. Rich people have a room for their cars. Their cars sleep in their own room. They've got a, a whole room allocated to their car. Okay? Rich people. That's why rich people have cars for their rooms. Rich people water their grass. Rich people water their grass with drinking water. Drinking, you know, you should actually drink the water, but you water the grass and your plants and all of those things, you know. You water it with drinking water. That's what rich people do, apparently. Rich people get a paid holiday every year. A paid holiday. Okay, so you get paid to lie on the beach. You get paid while you're lying on the beach. You get paid... While doing nothing, you get paid. It's not the norm, just by the way. It's not necessarily the norm. Some people only get paid when they work. Rich people, many rich people, they get a paid holiday every year. Rich people, listen to this one. 
rich people stand in front of a cupboard full of clothes, and then they say, I have nothing to wear. <laughs> rich people, I tell you, that's interesting. It's an interesting bunch of people. Rich people buy water. I'm one of those. Sorry to admit. Rich people buy water when they can have tap water for free. I never in my whole life thought I will ever buy water. But I do it now. <laughs> I do it now. But it's interesting, you know, if you, compare, if you compare your life, we get so used to what we do and what we, what we have. And we tend to always compare to those who have more. And then we feel we don't have a lot. But the moment you see anybody who has got less, you just realize we have so much. We have so much. So I want to I wanna start with a scripture and take you, take you through that. It started with command those who are rich. So it's not a suggestion. It's actually a command. The Apostle Paul says to Timothy, command those who are rich. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth. So I want to I take you to a parable in Luke 12. It's Jesus who told a story about a rich man. So I take, I'm going to take you through that story. So it's Jesus, Jesus telling the story. He told him a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He, that's now the rich man, he said to himself, What shall I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Oh, what a disaster. Such a problem, you know. I don't have, pro- I don't have room for all my crops. What will I do? Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns. You know, this is what rich people also do. They tear down the whole kitchen, you know, where there's a sink and a microwave and a, and a this and a that, and they build exactly the same thing. They tear it down, they build it again, rich people. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. Then I'll sit back. I'll sit back. Say to myself, where can I sit back? Okay, I'm going to sit back. I just need a drink now. Okay. I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God, okay, there's the but. They were waiting for the but. Okay, but. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Now I just wanna, I just want to highlight a few things for you because God did not call him a rich a fool for being rich. Okay, that was not the issue. Money is not the problem. All right, God could obviously look straight into his heart and see the condition of his heart. God called him a fool for being arrogant and putting his hope in wealth. So what happened to this man is hope moved from God to wealth. His hope moved from God to wealth. So I want to ask you another question this morning. How much do you need to have? How much money or possessions or some or uh, resources do you need to have to secure yourself? To secure yourself in this life that nothing can touch you. No matter what the eco- economy does, 
How much do you need to secure yourself? Any suggestion? How much? Five million, ten million, two billion. How much do you need? Okay, you don't. Thanks, Koba. Get Koba. Koba Khani, a brilliant answer. Let me give you the, the answer, similar to Koba's one. Nobody knows, that's what she says. It will always be more than what you currently have. That's the answer. So no matter how much you have to secure yourself against any disaster, anything that could possibly happen, you always need more than what you currently have to secure yourself. Always. So what happens... Okay, let me just go back to that, the first part of that scripture. Eh? It says, Command those who are rich in this present, present age not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth. So wealth isn't the problem. It's putting our hope in wealth. That's the problem. You see that? The moment we allow our hope to shift from God to wealth. So we, we allow our hope to move from the provider to the provision. The moment that happens, our hands begin to close. We start to hoard because we are haunted with the question, what if? I I can't give because what if I need this money myself? I I can't give because what if my car breaks down tomorrow? I can't give because what if, what if, what if? Okay, so this is the implication of our hope moving from God to wealth. From the provider to the provision. This is what happens. So we, we, we start thinking that we can save our way to safety and security. It, it, it happens automatically. The moment you, you, your hope moves from God to, to, your, to your resources, your wealth, your money, you think, I can save my way to safety and security. And it's very interesting that the more people have the less they give percentage-wise. They, they, might give, they might give a lot. But percentage-wise, in general, all people start giving less when we have more. And the reason for that is people are haunted with the question, what if, what if, what if, what if? And then we our hands close, we start to hoard, and we, we think we can save our way to security and safety. So, how does that happen for us who serve God? How does that happen? I think it easily happens when we forget. When we forget that we actually came into this world with nothing. And that everything that we have has been given to us by God, whether through opportunity, whether through, through uh, you know, the family situation or opportunity. So I want to I take you to another scripture in Deuteronomy where Moses spoke to the Israelites. Remember the Israelites were, they were rescued from, from Egypt. You know, God did those miraculous ten plagues and Pharaoh said, okay, you can now go. I've had enough. God took them through the Red Sea, another miracle, and now he's, he's promising them Canaan, the land of milk and honey. All right, you all remember that, that journey? 
But now Moses speaks to the Israelites in the desert. Okay, they have now seen all the miracles that on their way to the promised land. This is now before they they go into the promised land. He says, But this is the time to be careful. Beware that in your plenty, this is now plenty that, that is to come, that is going to happen in future. Beware that in your plenty you do not forget the Lord your God. For when you have become full and prosperous and have built fine homes to live in, and when your flocks and herds have become very large and your silver and gold have multiplied, along with everything else, be careful. Do not become proud at that time and forget the Lord your God who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. He did all of this so you would never say to yourself, I have achieved this wealth with my own strength and energy. Remember the Lord your God, for he is the one who gives you the power to be successful. So why why do you think he had to give them this like pep talk before they go into the promised land because God God's purpose and plan for them was to be successful God's plan was to prosper them God's plan was to free them from slavery and to to bless them but not so that they can become proud and forget the Lord but so that they can be a blessing there's another translation that talks about in the New King James it says for God of God is the one who gives us the power to get wealth. He is the one who gives us the power to be successful. You know, it's so easy to forget. It's easy to forget. You know, once we have our qualification, our breakthrough, our business deal, that thing that we beg God for, once we have it, it's so easy to forget. Because surely I've put in my hours... You know, I've worked my overtime for my promotion. Surely I, I'm smart and, you know, I worked for this. Surely, you know, I don't know if God really had anything to do with this. It's me, you know. It's me. If, if I think back about my own, you know, my own life. I studied accounting in Stellenbosch. By the grace of God, I passed my honors at university but then I, when I, I had to write two big exams to, to have my qualification, two five-hour exams, the one in, in, I started my articles, then I had to write the one in March, and the one the next year in November, somewhere. I failed my first exam, which was a big shock to my system, because I was always the one encouraging everybody else not to stress, and, you know, helping everybody else, and there it was Sonic, and I failed. And it was, it was very hard for me. I was the only one in my whole first-year group at the Stellenbosch office that failed. So it, it was very hard for me. I lost my confidence at work. I, it was a big thing for me to deal with. It had financial implications. It had a lot of, a lot of implications in my life to, do, to keep up with all the changes, to rewrite a year. You can't write like a month later. There's not anything like that. You write a year later. And in, in, in the accounting world, things change all the time, unfortunately. Things that I had to study changes like monthly. So I had to literally re-study and rewrite the whole thing. So I did. 
Adets. I remember Andre, he, he set his alarm for 45 minutes. It was a five-hour exam. Set his alarm for 45 minutes. Every 45 minutes, he would pray for me. He prayed me through that exam. And, you know, when I got my results after that one and I passed, I know and knew at that stage that it was God's. I knew that I could not do this in my own strength. I could not do it in my own strength. And the biggest mistake that I can ever make in my life is to think that I did it in my own strength. The biggest mistake I can ever make is to now, you know, how many years later, think, oh, it was so easy, you know, I worked hard and it was me and I'm so smart. And it's the, it could be the biggest mistake of my life to ever forget that I failed. And if it wasn't for Andre who prayed me through that exam, if it wasn't for God who gave me the courage and the, the mental capacity, because it's a big, there's a big mental thing around these exams, you know, where you, or any kind of studying, where some, it's, you are able to do it, but somehow you think you can't. And to get over that, that lie that, that you can, you can do it. It was God and only God who did it for me. So I want to ask you this morning, what is your story? What is your journey? Where have you come from? If you look back to your childhood, did you have the opportunity to go to university? Many people don't. Many people can't study, not because they, they don't have the, the capacity in terms of, of intellectual capacity, they just don't have the finances. They don't have the opportunities. Did you have the opportunity to study? Do you remember maybe the times you begged God, you know, before your, your exams, where you begged, begged him to help you, where he came through for you? You know, what is your story? What breakthroughs have you had in life? And do we remember, do we remember the Lord our God? who gives us the power to be successful. Do we remember him or do we forget and think it's us, it's we? Because the moment I think we forget, we move from putting our hope in God to to putting our hope in what we have because we we look at ourselves and our, our hours and time and effort that we've put in. So that is why I believe the Apostle Paul said to Timothy, command them, the rich people, command them not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but in God, who richly provides all things for our enjoyment. Amen? Okay, let's go to the second part of that, that, that scripture. Let's look at the second part of that scripture. Where, where there's a second command. The first one is, do not be arrogant. Do not put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Let's look at the second one. It says, Command them to stop being rich, to feel very guilty about what they have, to cancel the expense of holiday, to sell their car and their house and give all the money to the poor. It's a very good translation that I found. <laughs> Feeling guilty about what you have is not the solution, all right? It's not the solution. Feeling guilty is not going to change anything to anybody. God is not giving you resources and wealth for you to feel guilty. 
He also does not give it to you to necessarily sell and give all the money to the poor. Okay, God could lead you in that direction in specific situations, but there's a specific command. You know, the other thing also, we, can, we cannot look to people and judge them for their expensive holiday, you know. If you have a heart for the poor or you have a heart for specific ministries and you think, how can that Christian spend so much money on a holiday or a car or that specific item? We cannot judge one another ever, all right? Because God gives us things for our enjoyment. However, it's, what hap- it's what's happening in our hearts that counts. You can be very rich and not be a rich fool at all. You can be poor and you can be a poor fool, okay? Because your, your heart has moved from God to your possession. So it's not about how much you have. Okay, let's look at that. Command them. Let's look at the right translation. I don't know where that one slipped in. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. And as I said, we would never be able to fulfill the second command in the scripture if our hope moves from God to wealth. Because remember, then our hands close, we start to hoard, we are haunted by the question, what if, what if, what if? We would never be able. This is why he first said, command those who are rich in this present age not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. That's, that's the first thing we need to get right. Otherwise, we would never be able to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. We won't get to that point. Because we will hold. We might give, but we'll give like, you know, give, give, not too much. You know, open mind quickly and close it again. We will give, but we will be scared. We will, we, will, we will be scared to give. It will hold us back. So the question is for us as a church, are we, are we rich in good deeds? Are we generous? Are we willing to share? So I want, you, I want you to evaluate your own heart. How willing are we to share? How rich are we in good deeds? How generous are we? And if we, if we are not, how do we get to that point? How do we move our hearts to become more generous? What, what is the plan? You know, any good party has a plan. Okay, for those of you who don't know, for the, for the, impulsive, the impulsive people around us, I know you think you can just start a party and it's going to happen. I believe every good party has got a plan. All right? So every command of God that we want to practically implement in our lives has got a plan. All right? We're not doing it in our own strength. We're not striving. We're not sweating. But we partner with God, but there's a plan. Okay? So... This is where, where, the, where your little, little gift on your chair becomes part of my sermon. So if you can take this card that says Generosity Challenge, if you can take it, there's, a, there's one on every chair, so make sure you've got one in your hand. I drew up a 30-point challenge for us as a church. I'm very excited about this. My son is also very excited, especially about number 23. If you look at number 23, 
He's like very excited about that one. <laughs> but I want to encourage you to take this, stick it onto your fridge, stick it somewhere in the house where everybody can see it, involve your whole family, even your children. Vian and I are doing this together. We baked cookies yesterday already. I haven't baked in how many years? But we baked yesterday because we're taking cookies to our neighbors. So my son is in with me. So I, even if you're not doing this, Vian and I are doing this. So I want to encourage you to, to go through this. You, you need a plan, okay? Because some of these things you need to schedule a date or you need to schedule a, 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 a a supper together, you need to make a phone call, you need to do, you need to organize something, okay? So if you're not organized, I'm going to teach you this month to be a little bit more organized. You need to plan, you need to go through some things you might be able to tick straight away, some things you need to maybe put in your diary or to make a phone call or to buy something and have a plan. But the idea is we're going to speak about this for the whole month of May. And then on the 5th of June, you have until the 5th of June, so there's a deadline, to complete as many of these as possible. Okay. The idea is not to get full marks, but if you can get a cum laude, it would be appreciated. <laughs> 24 out of 30s, 80%. Okay. I think 80% is achievable for all of us. You're going to get an 80% for this test. Let me, let me encourage you. It's, it's, it's doable. So... Most of them are very achievable, but there's like a few that's a little bit more challenging, but I know you like a challenge. So together with this, your little card, if you can take this little plastic plastic bag. Okay, in that bag, you will find five generosity blessing cards. It looks like this. If you need a good designer, let me know. I can give you his cell phone number or his email address. Um, So this is a blessing card that you can use with quite a few of your challenges. Okay, at the back of your blessing card, it says, "My, my small way of showing that he loves you. So this, this is much more than just generosity. Okay, we want God to show us the beauty of our city and the beauty of the people. And to do that, we need to get into their worlds. Okay, we, we can never from a distance fall in love with anything. We can never from a distance, this is why God doesn't love us from a distance, like that one song sings. He's not watching us from a distance. God is very, very close. And the only way we can fall in love with a person or an institution or a city or something is we need to, it must be up close and personal. Then God gives us a heart and he gives us a love. So this is a way to get into the hearts of our community and in the hearts of our our fellow uh, church members or people in the church. So the idea is to use this together with a a challenge. I'm going to take you through it now. To write a little Notes. So, Cameron, you can go to the next one now. You can either write a scripture. So you can say, you can say, God, okay, what, what do you feel for this person? Okay, before you go to your neighbor with a chicken you made or the, the cake or whatever you're going to do, before you knock on your neighbor's door, you're going to pray and ask God, Lord, what do you feel? 
Is this person maybe going through a difficult time? What scripture can I give to him? Uh, Be still and know that I'm God. That is what you're going to write down. Or be anxious for nothing. Or I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you. That one always works, eh? That one always works. It's always beautiful. Or you can, you can write down, a, a speci- for those of you who like drawings, you can draw a picture, you can draw a flower, you can draw a, a bird or a mountain or a fountain or whatever. I'm not going to do that. Uh, I was lost in the queue when it came to drawing, drawing skills. But for those of you who like it, draw a picture. Make it personal. Write a specific word. Ask God, Lord, is there a specific word for this person? Maybe you feel, God, there's a specific thing on that person's heart and, and you or she is really praying about it and you feel that God is saying, I hear your prayer. I hear your prayer. I know your sleepless nights. I know the tears that you cry. I know. And then you write it down. All right? So this is more than just generosity. We're going to practice to hear God's voice. We're going to practice to walk across the room. Remember? Walk across the room where we're going to get out of our comfort, out of our self-focused uh, daily routine, and we're going we're gonna to just reach out to the person next to us. And it's, it's going to be a glorious journey. I'm so excited. And we're gonna, every week, we're going to motivate each other to tick another few of our list. And I tell you, by the end of May, by the 5th of June, our hearts would have would have shifted a little bit more from me, myself, and I to the city of East London because this is the way we do it. This is our plan. You actively, you actively lead your heart. Whether you feel like it or not, maybe you think, oh my goodness, Sonica, do you know my deadlines for this month? You do as much as you can, all right? Even if you, if you do five, it's five more than last month. And I really trust the Lord for it to become a culture and a, a, a lifestyle. So it's more than just, okay, the month of May, and then we're going to forget and move on with our lives. Thank you very much. <laughs> Done. Thank you. Sonica, No, it must become a lifestyle. It must become a lifestyle of being less self-focused. So I want to take you through a few of them just to give you an idea. Invite someone, number one, invite someone in church you don't know for supper. How's that? For an awesome way to connect. Anybody you don't know, anybody you don't know that well, invite somebody for supper. Oh, we're going to do supper dates like crazy. The next. There's not so many church events, okay? There's one church event on the 21st of May, the Saturday morning. The rest of your evenings, except life group and Bible school. I hope there's not many more youth on a Friday, okay? (laughs) There's not too many church events. I hope you're going to have Really find time to do this. Offer your professional service to someone for free, number two. And then also a great opportunity to use this card, your professional service to somebody for free, anybody. Number five, do good to one of your employees. If you don't have an employee, you can, you can do good to your domestic worker. By praying for him or her, blessing him or her with a gift, also a great idea then to use this little card. Number eight, take a meal to someone who's going through a difficult time. So they, maybe you think, I don't know about anybody who's going through a difficult time. Then you're going to pray and say, God, show me. Open my eyes. 
A card, maybe. Email, I don't know. A card. Buy a nice card, give it to your boss, tell him he's the best boss ever, you know. You lie all the time, so just do another lie. <laughs> best boss ever, and he might just become the best boss ever, okay? Number 10, bless a civil servant by also praying for him or her, giving her a meal or chocolate. Um, civil servant, you can, a security guard, you know, just somebody who's actually serving the city. And look, look for them. Look for them. Okay? We just walk past these people and we don't even see, you know, security guards, um, police officers. Uh, yeah, you will, you will, God's going to open your eyes for that you need to, we need to focus. 11, give some of your clothes away. You know, rich people stand in front of the cupboard, a full wardrobe. I have nothing to wear. Give everything away and get yourself new stuff, okay? If you have nothing, nothing that you like. Okay, take one of the following people for coffee, one of your children's schools, friends, moms, or dads. If you have a child in school, start by reaching out to the, to the moms and the dads in the class. It's a, it's a wonderful opportunity. There's so many people who are not... They don't have a church family, so it's a great opportunity. You know, make a coffee date and organize for the boys to play together and do a coffee date, okay? Or anybody else, give a 20% tip to your waiter. I don't know if that's going to be challenging to you, but let's, let's give, it a, give it a try. Also, a great idea. Write down, thank you so much for serving us tonight. You know, waiters, it's not as if they earn that much. They lay, they lay their lives down for you. You know, you sit and you order your meal and they run around. How many of you have ever done waitressing? A lot. Okay. I'm very scared of waitressing. Very scared. Waitressing is really hard work. Okay. And a 10% tip is really not a lot. So a 20% tip, write a card, ask God when you, when you go for your coffee, you know, your, your nice cappuccino. Ask God, okay, Lord. What is the waiter's name? Okay, first find that out. If they don't have a little badge, find it out and say, Dear Jenny, thank you so much for serving us today. I really appreciate your beautiful smile and your kind heart. God bless you. Okay, anything like that? There's an idea. Okay, number 15. Surprise your spouse or your best friend with a special gift. Okay, that's just a nice one in there. Because sometimes... You know, people can also be very focused on community and very focused on others. But it's like the, the, um, the uh, who's the guy who makes shoes? A shoemaker. No, it's not right. Okay, a shoemaker, for lack of a better word. His kids always have no shoes to wear, you know. It's not like, like typical situation where sometimes we are so focused on everybody else but your own family you know, we bake cake for the whole world, but your poor husband never gets a, like a chocolate brownie or something, you know. So that's, I'm not saying it's all of you, but sometimes, sometimes people are like that. So surprise your spouse or your best friend with a special gift. And number 16, ask God to show you a specific need in church. 
trust him to meet that need. That could be a financial need. That could be a physical need. That could be an emotional need. Anything. Ask him to open your eyes for that. Number 18. Nice challenging one for all of us. Bless your worst enemy. You can read Matthew 5. 44, it's very biblical. It's not an interesting translation like my other one I used earlier. Bless your worst enemy by praying for him or her and doing good to him or her. Okay, it says, uh, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Pray for for those who spitefully use you. It sounds very easy. It's not. (laughs) Okay, so... Uh, think about who's your worst enemy. Who's the person who's giving you the, the, the most opposition in your job, in your life, the person that um, is offended with you? Let's bless them, okay? Let's overcome evil by doing good. That's the way we overcome evil, by doing good. Number 19, take a meal or cake to one of your neighbors. Again, use a little generosity blessing card. Number 23, buy a small gift for your child or a child in need. Vian saw a little boy on the street the other day and he said, Mommy, I think, uh, can, can we only do these things once or can we do it more than once? So he said, no, 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 we can do it more than once if you want. So he said, can't we also get a gift for a child you know, who's, who's lives on the street? I said, yes, of course we can. And then he got very worried. He said, but does that mean that I'm not going to get a gift anymore? <laughs> so I said, no, we can do both. We can do both. So you can also do both. Number 26, take a cross-cultural friend out for coffee or for lunch. 28, stand in faith with someone for a job or a financial breakthrough. Once again, maybe you don't know about anybody who needs a financial breakthrough. But then you're going to pray and say, God, bring that person to me. Bring him to me. You'll be surprised how God answers these prayers. Number 29, actively ask God how you, can, how you can become a blessing to your church, your city, or your community. All right, there's others that I'm going to touch on next week. That is, um, it's going to be more part of next week's sermon. But I want, I want to encourage you. It's a little bit out of our comfort zone. It's going to take a little bit of your time, a little bit of your resources. But it's going to change our hearts for the good. Amen? Okay, I'm almost done. Let's just look at that very last part of the scripture. It says, in this way... Okay, so there's two commands. Command those who are rich not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth. That's the first part. The second part is, command them to do do good. to To be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. Now... There's a, there's a result or, a, or a, a reward, if we can get this right. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. So the result of getting these two things right will be, first of all, we will lay up treasures for ourselves in heaven. We can never forget that heaven is our ultimate destination. We are on earth for a very, very short period of time. We're going to live in heaven forever. All right? So you sending deposits. You know, it's like making deposits into a UK bank account or something because ultimately that's where you're going to live. You're making deposits into your heavenly bank accounts. All right? And also we will take hold of life that is truly life. And I'm going to share about that next week. What, what is life that is truly life? What does it look like? What, what is it all about? What, what is it? Is there such a thing as life that is truly 
life. So I'm going to talk about that next week. But one of my dreams for us as a church is really not to only look to our own needs, but to also look at the needs of others. It's like a dream. I say, God, make us a strong church with resources, with, with capacity, so that we can be a blessing. And I really feel this is what, what God is calling us for. I mean, if we look around, eh? we have doctors, we have dietitians, we have OTs, we have physios, we have businessmen, we have engineers, we have accountants, we have teachers. We are blessed. We are such a blessed congregation. And God is calling us for more than just taking care of our own needs. He wants us to be a channel. You know, if God sees that he can trust us, he will give us more. If we prove ourselves faithful, he will give you more. So that we can give more, so that we can be a channel. And this is my heart for us as a church, that we will become we will be blessed to be a blessing, okay? So that we, that we will forever not only look only to our own needs, but to those of others and to be a blessing. Amen? Amen. So if you can stand with me, we're going to do a declaration this morning. Okay, there's a declaration and there's a crafted prayer. Okay, for those of you who have been to Encounter 3, we wrote crafted prayers which is similar to a declaration, but you craft the truth and scripture and things that is on your heart for a specific thing into a prayer, and you make it part of your prayer life. I mean, how many of us in the mornings we like half asleep and we try to pray, or we like, oh, I don't even know where to start. And then if you have a crafted prayer, which is simply a prayer that you worked out, okay, that is always going to be powerful. It's like scripture. I mean, we should actually pray scripture. And it's there. It's there for us to use. We should pray back to God. So if you have a crafted prayer for your workplace, for your city, for your family, for your finances, in, 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 in every area of our lives, we can craft ourselves a prayer or a declaration and we can pray that. We can start with that. And it almost shifts your, your, the, the atmosphere in your heart to the truth. And then you can start praying from your heart. So I'm going to read this to you, and then we can do this together. All right. This is what we're going to declare. I declare that I love my city. And this is not about feeling love for East London, okay? It's about a declaration. It's a truth statement. We lead our hearts, right? This is what a declaration is all about. It's not about feeling we lead our hearts to start feeling after we have declared. So, I declare that I love my city. I believe that God has planted me in East London for a reason, because he has. To be a blessing, to change the atmosphere, to bring hope and healing, to overcome evil by doing good, to be generous and to share willingly. Father, help us to reveal your heart to our city. We declare that we will lead our hearts to actively do good and to be reaching good deeds. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege to partner with you and to be your hands and feet in our church and in our community. Amen.